Louisa Vesteraga Jespersen, 24, from Denmark, and Maren Euland, 28, from Norway, set out on the adventure of a lifetime in the mountains of Morocco. The women met their untimely end while camping, and their murderers are now on death row in Morocco. This is their story. Sources for this episode include Murder in the Moroccan Mountains by Rachel Munro for Outside Online, July 29th, 2019, The Guardian, The New York Times, BT, Who and News.com.au. Welcome back to episode 10 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those missing abroad. I'm actually adding a new category to the podcast, which I've planned on doing from the start. Um, It will be covering not only missing travellers, but every few episodes, I'm going to do a solved case where travellers have met an untimely end, so to speak, or, you know, been murdered in a country abroad. Um, I feel like a lot of these stories deserve to be told, not only that, I'm not trying to scare you into not travelling, but I think a lot of them have some lessons that we can take away from them about how to travel safe. I'm starting with this particular case um, and I just wanted to start with a bit of a foreword and basically to say that if if you can't handle um, kind of really intense crimes. Um, Not a lot upsets me in terms of true crime. This particular one even upsets me. I followed it uh, since it happened and the details really haven't left me since and I doubt they've really left anyone who knows the details of it. Um, So just a bit of a trigger warning that if you are upset by really kind of gruesome details... Um, as much as they are towards the end, I still don't recommend listening to this. So um, I just also wanted to say that I started looking into this properly. I've known it since it happened, but the actual details of a while back, a few weeks back, um, I was really just coming across really short news articles and trying to piece them together. And a lot of them are really hung up on the really gruesome aspects of the crime, trying to go for clickbait or shock value. Um, They really gave little insight into both of the women that I'll be talking about in this episode. Um, Then I was so lucky to stumble across a beautiful piece of journalism that was published in July 2019. I mentioned it in the sources. It's called Murder in the Moroccan Mountains. It's an article by Rachel Munro and she wrote it for uh, the online publication Outside Online. Rachel wrote a long-form essay on this case. It's stunningly written, so detailed. It had so much heart and I got a lot of um, the details about the women from this. I just want to say thank you, Rachel. You are a writer that I wish I was and you're a torch holder for the craft of journalism that seems to be disappearing. So on with the case. So this is the case of Louisa Vesteraga Jespersen from Denmark and Maren Juland from Norway. So Louisa Jespersen, she was 24. She was from the town of Ikast in Denmark. Sorry if I mispronounced that. 
Her friends nicknamed her Lulu and she was already an experienced traveller by the young age of 24 when she was unfortunately killed while travelling. Louisa had travelled to Peru, Norway, Argentina and her mother described her best saying, quote, she was always happy and positive, unquote. She brought out the best in everyone. Her social media was really a testament to Louise's desire for adventure and I I was able to look at a number of videos that are on YouTube of Louise speaking um, and also there's a lot of images of her because she spent a lot of time, you know, putting up pictures on social media and she's just got this really um, kind of cheeky smile. She's very Danish looking um, and when she laughs in her photos, they're not posed, they're they're candid, they're caught mid-laugh and when she talks in the videos that I've seen she looks like she's about to laugh all the time. It's just it's just such a sweet quality and such a genuine quality. So in 2018 during a trip to Australia, my country, uh, Louisa had written on her Facebook about her first time trying to surf and I think this really kind of summed up her attitude to life. She said, quote, I'm ready to fall a thousand more times on this board if it means that one day I will be able to stand on it, unquote. So her travelling companion was a 28-year-old woman from Norway called Mara Newland. She hailed from the small town of Bryn in Norway and like Louisa, who she'd only met recently, she was really adventurous and fun. When she was younger, she was apparently quite shy, but she really kind of came out of her shell. Her mother described her as, quote, warm and engaged. Her first priority was safety, unquote. And Marin has a similar kind of Scandinavian look, long blonde hair, and just a really genuine smile that I feel like in the age of the influencer, you just don't get. And her travel photos and Louise's are just just relatable. And I I urge you to go and look them up so you have a so you have a visual of these women. Um, I'll be putting a lot on the Instagram as I go. So Marin and Louisa, they'd met as students at the University of Southeastern Norway and they'd become friends because they were both studying outdoor recreation and nature guidance and they both planned to become tour guides. I believe either, I think abroad, they both intended on and that's why they were building, you know, all their experience in these different continents. Both women had adventure in their blood and obviously their friendship made sense. So on December 9th, 2018, Louise and Marin arrived in the country of Morocco. Neither were particularly keen on Christmas. They kind of shared my belief that it's just all about consumerism these days and they decided to use this month-long winter getaway to trek and quote chase experiences according to Louise's mother Hallie Jesperson. The November, the month before, Louise posted on her Facebook, quote, Dear friends, I'm going to Morocco in December. Any of you guys who's around by then or any mountain friends who know something about Mount Tubkal, unquote. So Louise's mother, Hallie, had actually urged her not to go to Morocco 
I think she had a bit of a mother's intuition. She had heard that Morocco was dangerous, which is generally the common consensus, although the statistics prove otherwise. She said, quote, we advised her not to go down because it's such a chaotic place and you've heard of people who have been killed down there. So that's what she told the Danish newspaper BT. <sighs> so Louise and Marin, their first port of call in Morocco was the city of Marrakesh, which is a pretty popular tourist destination. But they didn't stay there long because their ultimate goal was to basically explore the Atlas Mountains, which is, you know, the famous mountain range in Morocco. So they basically continued on to the town of Imlil, which is 56 miles from Marrakesh. So Imlil is popular with travellers as a main base for summiting Mount Tubkal. And it's actually, once you get up the top, it's actually the highest peak in North Africa. This was once a sleepy town, but it's now bustling with tourists year-round. Um, the permanent population of Imlil is 10,000, but droves of tourists come by all the time. Tourism really brought the town to life in recent decades, and it kind of reminded me a lot of Rishikesh, India, which is covered in Episode 5, The Disappearance of Ryan Chambers. So it's become a hotspot for adventure travel, hiking, um, and of course, as a result, tourism is the main economy driver in Imlil. According to Rachel Munro in her awesome article, Rachel had actually lived in Morocco for like 15 years ago. So this article was coming from a familiar place. She said that when she lived there, the town had actually only just got electricity. And that was, that was literally like 15 years ago, 2005, 2006. So that's a, a lot of progress in a short amount of time. Imlil is now full of shops, Airbnbs, juice bars. It's even got a pizzeria. And almost the entire population of the town works in tourism in some capacity. So Tubkul, which the women in, intended on climbing to the summit of, is in the Atlas Mountains. Its peak is at 13,671 feet. Reaching the summit is an achievement. Um, I think <laughs> climbing the top of any mountain is an achievement. And it takes around two full days to get to the summit. It isn't an Everest-like hike. It is a manageable trail, but it doesn't involve any technical knowledge or equipment, but you do have to have a level of fitness. So as soon as they got to Imlil, essentially the two women were just keen to get going up to the summit. So they started heading up the mountain and they actually decided not to take a guide with them, which is actually a recommendation, not only does a guide, you know, know how to speak the local languages in the different um, towns you go through and the different shops, but if something happens, they're also best equipped to get help for you. So it, it, it was winter when the girls were there and the snow-capped peaks of Tubkal, they're windy and freezing, um, but nonetheless, the girls were keen. Along the way, they passed other hikers and pack mules on their journeys, many of whom remembered them as smiling and laughing and talking as they walked up the trail. There are small shops and cafes dotted all the way up the mountain to grab essentials at, so you never, 
you know, a long way away from the next shop or hostel or guest house or, you know, local. Usually at the end of the first day of hiking, visitors who are doing the trail spend the night at a hostel. It's called the Refuge de Tubkel and it's a hostel that stands at 10,521 feet. From here, the next day the hike becomes more difficult and with winter that's, you know, made even more so. We actually don't know if Marin and Louisa reach the summit, but we do know that in the late afternoon of December 16th, they were heading downhill, most likely aiming to make it back to the town of Imalil, which I discussed earlier. I actually, on a personal note, think that they reached the summit. I don't think they would have turned around otherwise and they were heading back down. Um, it's sad that we don't know. Unfortunately, Imlil was still about two or three hours away on foot and the sun was starting to set. It was due to fully set at, I believe, 6.30 and by this point it was about 4pm. So Louisa and Marin decided to pitch their tent basically next to a shop that had closed up for the day on a flat surface. And the sad thing is, according to Rachel Munro, if the girls had just kept walking for maybe another 30 minutes, they would have reached a village that had a guest house and a really basic restaurant and this most likely wouldn't have happened and that's tragic. So just diverting a little bit from the story, um, just a little bit about the country of Morocco. So Morocco is in North Africa. It's always had a very kind of mystical, exotic reputation, famous for its markets and, um, you know, carpets and uh, pottery and I don't know, it's all, it's very kind of romantic and exotic, the concept of Morocco. It's actually now one of the most visited countries in Africa. This is mostly due to the fact that it's a lot safer than its neighbours, its African neighbours and its Middle Eastern neighbours. It is an associated country of the European Union, but not actually part of it. However, the EU does operate on the ground in Morocco. Morocco puts a lot of their effort and energy into tourism and it's definitely paid off. According to Rachel Munro's article, 2018 was a record for Morocco where they marked 17 million international visitors. I suppose Morocco has always had a kind of, um, it's kind of attracted people as far back as Casablanca. Um, the movie was set in Morocco and I guess that's, I always think of that in relation to it kind of having this mystical, exotic, romantic reputation, but unfortunately that's not always the case. Many visitors in heading to Morocco, they go to the cities, Marrakesh, Casablanca, Fes, Tangier, while others that are more adventurous like Louise and Marin head into the wilds to you know, seek adventure. So now I'll be getting into the crime of the murder of Louisa and Marin. So if you can't handle it, I suggest switching off. I'll try to make it as palatable as possible. But if I do swear, it's because I've been thinking about this case for like three days and it just enrages me. And if this case doesn't warrant a few fucks here and there, then I don't know what does. 
So on December 17th, December 17th, the following day after the girls um, had last been seen descending, um, two French hikers came across the bodies of Louise and Marin. According to sources, one of the girls was outside the tent and one was inside, but they haven't commented on which was which. Helicopters and police cars were before long speeding up the mountain because the French hikers like ran to get help back to the town. The Morocco the Morocco equivalent of the FBI, which is called the Central Bureau of Judicial Investigations, arrived. Locals started turning up. You can see footage of them all just lining the roads because they'd just never seen a reaction like this. There's really not crime in this area and the locals are totally dependent on tourism, so they're extremely kind and accommodating. One local spoke to Rachel Munro for her article. Um, his name was Muhammad Idali and he said, quote, you would rather hurt yourself than hurt a tourist because if you hurt a tourist, you hurt everyone, unquote. So rumours started spreading throughout the region about what the girls had died of. Uh, initially, locals must have thought that it was maybe a carbon monoxide leak in their tent from their stove or um, their lamp or something like that. However, before long, the real details of the case became apparent and no one could have predicted what was to come. Mere hours after the bodies were discovered, suspects were arrested. These suspects, who are the complete scum of the earth, um, they confessed to killing the two women just after midnight on the night that they pitched their tent. So when Marin and Louisa pitched their tent on a flat surface near the shop that had shut down um, instead of keeping walking because they weren't to know that there was a guest house about half an hour further down the, down the hill, um, these men had seen them and they had pitched their tent down the down the same slope a few hundred meters away I'm assuming to avoid detection they actually saw the two women camping at about 7 p.m that day these three men well there was actually four to begin with they'd been climbing the trail themselves but from another direction they crossed paths with tons of people who remembered them so if they were crying trying to find victims undetected they were going the wrong way about it they stopped one guy and asked for directions to the hostel I mentioned earlier which was kind of where usually people stay at the end of the first day um Unfortunately, because it was winter, as fate would have it, the snow set these men back. Um, they didn't continue on to the hostel and I'll get into a little bit later why I think they were going there. But basically these pussies couldn't push forward so they pitched their tent close to these women after seeing them. According to one to Rachel's article, one British hiker who was doing the same trail actually remembered speaking with them he had been stopped by them and one of them asked him if he was Muslim and when he reported that he was, they kept walking. So once we get into a little bit more about these assholes, that might make more sense to you. Essentially, it was a blitz attack. 
and Marin and Louisa were stabbed to death in their tent and the other just outside it. I'm not sure which one was which, they've never said, but I assume that one was trying to make a run for it. But you can imagine what it would be like to be sitting in your tent with your friend, maybe even sleeping. I assume sleeping at that point because they would have had a long day. Imagine your tent flap flying open and three men holding knives just coming at you. Imagine. Specific details aren't available, but we know at least one of these women was decapitated and the event was filmed. These three monsters then fled the scene and being the clever dudes that they were, they left their own tent behind. So in Morocco, news of the attack was met with widespread outrage and condemnation the murders basically received international and Moroccan press coverage. This is not a country that covered up this at all. In the case of previous episodes I've done, they were astounded that it had happened. They were apologetic and they were disgusted and it's, it was, it's a wonderful reaction to have and to see. Reactions, um, as I said, were of shock and outrage and... That night, a public torchlit vigil was held in Marin's town of Bryn in Norway um, just to support her family through the event. Bear in mind their families are back in Denmark and Norway and um, Morocco is a long way away. So victim vigils for the victims were also held in Rabat um, at the embassies for of Norway and Denmark, along with vigils in Marrakesh and Imlil. So I just think that's a beautiful reaction from locals um, and a real sense of coming together and condemning these attacks. And they were going to continue to condemn them once they got these bastards. The Prime Minister of Morocco called the murders, quote, a stab in the back of Morocco and Moroccans. So the video, which I'll get into in a little bit, just briefly, um, that depicted the murder of the two travellers, it runs apparently for 76 seconds. I have not watched it. I don't know where to find it, but if I found it, I would not be watching it. And if you ever come across it, please don't watch it. This video heightened a lot of race tensions in Europe um, a lot of people were disgustingly posting to Marin's own Facebook, which usually had her own travel pictures. Um, they were posting pictures of Marin's dead body um, being stabbed to death. And this was apparently to prove a point that Morocco should be removed from the EU, which I don't quite understand. They're not officially part of the EU, but I don't understand how posting those pictures um, advances your point. It just shows that you're a monster for sharing them. So the murderers, a suspect called, I'm not going to freak out too much about not pronouncing their names because I don't give a shit about these guys. Um, a suspect named Abderahim Kayali, he was quickly arrested after the murders, um, basically three hours after their bodies were discovered. And you know how this um, Rhodes Scholar was arrested and why? Because when they fled the area and left their tent behind, his ID was in there. So he's a genius. 
Following on from that, three other suspects, um, I can't even be fucked pronouncing their names, I'm sorry, but I don't want to focus on them as much. I care about f- um, pronouncing Louise and Maren's names properly, but not these guys. Um, Rashid, Younes and Abdesamad, they were uh, then arrested. They were on a bus during rush hour that morning in Marrakesh. Um, from what I could tell, one of them was a carpenter, one was in another trade and one was a street vendor. When they were arrested, they had knives on them. So this Abdesamad Ejud, who one of the guys arrested on the bus, he is apparently the ringleader of the group. And essentially a week before the murders, of Louisa and Marin, they had shot a video where they pledged allegiance to ISIS. This loser um, had decided to form a terrorist cell. Um, and now, according to the head of the country's central office for judicial investigation, this terrorist cell, quote, discussed how to carry out a terrorist attack inside the kingdom of Morocco, unquote. So essentially they were going to target security services and foreign tourists before they decided that they were going to go to Imlil because they knew that it was a tourist hotspot effectively. And that's where they unfortunately crossed paths with Louisa and Maren. Moroccan police didn't just stop there with these four guys. Um, They basically made arrests of, I think, at the last count, it was like 20 people who were all cobbled onto this um, amateur terrorist group, so to speak. Now, the fourth guy who was in the group, I said earlier that three of them had murdered the women in their tent. The fourth one had actually left them um, before they did this. Three of them had continued to camp and the fourth one had gone back to town for some reason. Um. Now the trial. In total, 24 people went on trial in Morocco near the city of Rabat um, in relation to this murder and the subsequent kind of terrorist charges. 23 of these people were Moroccans from Marrakesh and one was this Swiss expat who had converted to Islam who had essentially been behind training them. Three of them were charged with murder, the three that killed the girls in their tent and the other three, 23 of the terrorist charges. Essentially, they eventually ended up confessing to killing the women. Um, And in July 2019, so this isn't even a year ago, it's about 10 months ago, the three who had killed the women were given a death sentence and their lawyer immediately said he would appeal this. Of course. So it's all right to dish out death on two unsuspecting, innocent women who were just trying to live their lives to the fullest, but these pussies can't face it. So then the appeal happened and the death sentence, you know, was upheld, like these guys didn't stand a chance. The prime suspect, this guy who was apparently the ringleader, he was 25 at the time. He was sentenced to death. The other two were, and then the fourth who left was given like a 15 to 20 year sentence in prison. Um, 
essentially Morocco has a death penalty. It's kind of like, it's kind of like California. Like it has a death penalty, but it's on hold since 1993. They haven't killed anyone. So essentially they're just banking up people on death row, but they haven't killed anyone. It's like a moratorium kind of, I don't know. I don't know what's holding it back from going forward. Um, but in this instance, I think we can all agree that if anything warrants a death penalty, um, this does. After I found out that they got the death penalty, I looked up pictures of Moroccan prisons. I really hoped it would be like a Balinese or Thai style slum. From what I can tell from the ones that I saw, it's it's not, which upset me. Um, I hope I couldn't find anything about what death row is like, but I hope it's like in the States where you have no contact with anyone and you're held back from your family. You have no physical contact with anyone except guards moving you. Um, and I hope that prison justice in Morocco is the same as in the rest of the world, where men who kill women or children or are pedophiles are dished out prison justice. That's all I can hope for. I hope that's a universal thing because these pieces of shit are just going to live the rest of their life in this prison in Morocco. And I get the feeling that they're just going to be hanging out together and playing cards. That's honestly the feeling I get. So I just want to focus quickly on the film that was taken of the murder of the girls. Um, as I said, I didn't look for it. I don't think it's out there. It's 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 passed around on forums, you know, with incels and shit who want to see women have their heads cut off. But um, according to news.com.au, which is an Australian news website, um, basically they filmed it and... Um, news.com.au for some reason posted that they had watched it. I hate when I see a news publication talking about something horrific like the beheading of James Foley or Daniel Pearl or something like that and they go, we have viewed this and it is, it's like, don't admit to that. The only people who should be watching that to confirm that it's really, it's authentic is the police. That's what I believe. Essentially, this got leaked, this video of Marin and Louise's murder. It was all over Facebook and someone put it all over the Facebook page of one of their mothers, which probably doesn't surprise you based on where social media stands at the moment. The footage essentially has been confirmed as authentic by Norwegian police, um, which makes me think that it is Marin, even though I don't want to think about it. The footage shows a woman screaming while a man cuts her throat with what appears to be a kitchen knife. In the video of the killings, the attackers can be heard shouting at the women and calling them, quote, enemies of Allah and, quote, this is revenge for her brother, our brothers in Hajin, unquote. I looked up what Hajin was. Hajin's essentially a now liberated ISIS stronghold in Syria and they don't like the fact that it was liberated from ISIS. Um, essentially it just got out there and they haven't been able to rein it in. And I just, uh, it's one of the reasons I hate social media. So my final words on this case, um, I'll just quickly go into a few things about what happened post the trial and everything. So the parents didn't go to the trial in Morocco. I don't blame them. I would not travel there to face them. Um, 
I just wouldn't want to, I don't even think the parents have ever been on the ground in Morocco and I totally don't blame them. Some parents in cases like this travel back and forth constantly. Either way is fine. It's how you grieve and honestly, it's probably safer for them just to stay home. Louise Jesperson, her funeral was held in her town of Ikast in Denmark on January 12th two months after she was murdered, um, one month after she was murdered, sorry. The Danish Prime Minister, Lars Loch Rasmussen, attended the funeral. Marin, she was buried on January 21st in Yaren in Norway. The Norwegian Minister of Health, I can't, I can't speak Norwegian, I'm sorry. I don't know what an O with a line through it. I don't know what sound that makes. Bent Hoy. And the Moroccan ambassador, Lamia Radi, both attended Marin's funeral. Their families don't wish to speak to the media anymore, which I understand, um, especially considering half the news articles I saw, except for Rachel's, were totally zoning in on the clickbait torture element of it, which is disgusting. Um, they wouldn't even speak to Rachel for her article, but I do understand I want to say that no matter whether Marin and Louisa camped out or not, these women could not have seen what was coming. And a crime like this is completely rare in this area that where they are kind people and they are totally focused on giving tourists the best experience possible. These pieces of shit weren't from this town. They were from Marrakesh. There are people like this everywhere, no matter where you are, but the statistics are right and they prove that this isn't common. It should not stop us from living our lives. And stories like this, unfortunately, do scare us as women. I saw an article on a really nice tribute video to the girls where people, for some reason, think that that's a place to put their demented, um, hard-boiled logic um, ideas onto the posts. YouTube is just trash in comments in general. Um, but I saw one from a woman actually who wrote, quote, should have stayed at home, brainwashed, living in a bubble, tragic. And that was the top comment on it for her parents to see, for the girl's parents to see. I assume the bubble she's referring to is Scandinavia where the quality of living is high, crime is low and they're looked after. However, if she knew anything about these girls, she'd know that they weren't living in a bubble at all. They were worldly women who had travelled and were just trying to get the most out of life and stories like this should not deter us. <sighs> no matter what male propaganda tells us, and this is going to be controversial but it's the truth, women are almost always the victims of men in some capacity and women have very little chance of fighting off a man. Men are stronger, I'm sorry, to women who... Unless you are Ronda Rousey and he is not, <laughs> he is just some random. These women, in, for instance, had no chance with these men ambushing them in their tent with knives. Men are generally stronger than women. It's in our biological makeup. I'm not getting into a gender equality diatribe, but these men are pussies. Any man who lays a hand on a woman is a complete pussy. Um, and you'll always find that the men who don't lay hands on women, in my experience, um, who do lay hands on women, are terrified of confrontation with a man and that they're little men. And that's what these three losers are. 
there was another woman who went on some sort of YouTube fucking um, diatribe about um, why weren't they armed. I didn't even click on it. I assumed she was American because that argument generally comes from Americans. Um, No offence if you're American, but the rest of the world doesn't live um, with the constant fear of someone killing you that um, people in your country seem to do. To be armed, walking around armed with a knife in Australia and in most countries is an offence if you are caught with it and most people don't live like that. Um, We're not arming ourselves against the rest of the world. I also, backtracking to what I think the killers were doing when they were climbing that mountain, um, I assume from what I've pieced together that they had that hostel in mind, which is essentially the halfway point um, for the trail. I think that's where they were going to do whatever they were doing and looking for victims. Um, Obviously, they were memorable to people in the trail. They asked that guy if he was a Muslim and then they walked away. Um, I assume that he he would have been a victim if not. They were literally just out in broad daylight looking for victims. I think if they had got to that hostel, there would have been more victims. I just have a terrible feeling about that. But the snow drove them back. Um, So they're big men, but a little bit of snow didn't hold these women back and everyone else summiting, but these pussies couldn't handle it. So... I think, unfortunately, the girls were like sitting ducks and they were perfect prey for these losers. The fact that a rape wasn't committed on these girls is is rare. You'd expect it in this kind of case. However, it does prove that these kind of lone wolves were purely driven at rage, perceived kind of slights from them against the Western world. I'm not going to get into ISIS. I'm not going to get into politics. Um, most Muslim people are kind, giving people. Um, I have a lot of experience with Muslim friends. Um, my ex who I left behind in England was a Muslim from Afghanistan. I'm not getting into all that. Um, they're good people and most of them are non-violent. There's way more violence committed in other religions such as Christianity since the dawn of time. But this isn't a history podcast. Crimes like this don't sum up Muslim people. These are lone wolves. They're everywhere, regardless of race, gender, religion. The reaction from Morocco was really heartening. I found this murder, this double murder was condemned broadly by all the people of Morocco, all of their leaders. They did not hide the facts of the case. Um, And it's kind of what you wish would happen in other cases where people are murdered abroad, where everyone works together to get an answer. And I don't know, it just really made me emotional. It, It made me want to go to Morocco. I really hope it doesn't affect their tourism numbers. However, I'm assuming that the COVID shutdown has already done that to them. But I kind of get the feeling that it actually didn't it didn't um, because people are aware that these were just three lunatics and it's such a rare thing. These two women, Louisa Jespersen and Maren Uland, they would have gone on to do so much. Their degrees and their interests meant it just showed that they had a love for nature, for showing people nature, for experiences, for getting away from behind a screen and getting outside and exploring. And it feels like 
a rare thing these days to find people like that. They would have had amazing adventures across the world and it saddens me the fear that they would their lives would have ended in. It's one of the biggest things I struggle with and always have since I was a little girl when I've heard about crimes is I have this funny superstition about not that kind of that when people leave this world and whatever's on the other side, if they leave in a state of panic or fear, I feel like if there is another side, which I'm not sure if there is, as I get older, I think there isn't, but they're in a kind of state of limbo. Um, not like the plot of Ghost, but like they're, they're unable to kind of rest on the other side. And I've always had this funny thing about it where it's just upset me and you don't deserve to go out in a way like that. I have similar feelings about 9-11. The thought of losing your life at that heightened state of fear is just, it just upsets me so much. Um, and I hope if there is another side, then they're, they're at peace. And I feel sorry for their families, um, which is an understatement. I don't know how as a parent or a sibling of these girls, you could ever get a full night's peace ever again. It would it would play over in your mind their last minutes all the time and what you could have done to stop them from going. And the truth is nothing would have stopped them from going because I'm the same. Nothing my parents ever said to me stopped me from doing anything I wanted to do. And they were resigned to that. So they didn't really push. Um, and I think these girls were the same. So yeah, if, um, if you want to combat some of the kind of in intense, racism and stupid unrelated commentary about these girls on the internet go to one of the youtube channels and leave a nice comment about them or you know something like that keep that stuff off my instagram please um about race anything like that um just because they're blonde girls and the men that killed them were brown it doesn't mean shit it's horrible either way so this was the first episode, well, it's the 10th episode of Unknown Passage, but the first episode of the Solved series that I'll be doing. As I said, I'll be doing these every few just to kind of break it up. I know that people don't, some people hate unsolved cases, which is weird because my whole podcast started out as an unsolved case. Um, and some people like a bit of, you know, a full story that's complete. Um, so... I thought that I'd start doing these. I have a big list of them because I know like probably 10 times as many as I do for the unsolved ones. But the the main tra trajectory of this podcast will continue to be um, the unsolved cases. I've got some really beautiful um, comments and messages from listeners and I just want to say thank you so much. Um, one was Dan from Oregon. He gave me like a five-star review and commented saying that he really enjoyed it. Another one was Eva in Sweden. Um, oh, what was the other one? Um, there was a girl, she's an American, uh, Roxy maybe. She's a American girl living in Spain, living the dream. Maybe not so much May 2020, but in general. Um, and it was really nice because these are just random people who have found the podcast and they're reaching out to say it's cool. And I'm just, I'm just really passionate about it. It's given me a little, 
my whole life really is work. I think about it all the time. I don't sleep well. I just stress about it. And this is the first time where I've had an outlet in maybe four years from work and something that I'm doing for myself and for other people that's not for monetary gain or career development or anything like that. And it's made me feel like I can breathe a little bit more in a weird way. So anyway, um, I will be releasing a new episode, a missing person. I'm going to record it this week. So you'll get to this week, this weekend. Sorry. Um, as I said, I think on the last one, I said this, and I put up a post about it on Instagram, this case has blown my mind like I've, I didn't record it tonight. I instead did this one because I still need time to digest the details of it and figure out what I think. It is a wild ride. It may be the most convoluted, complicated, unsolved missing person, missing travelers case that I will cover. And I think you'll really get into it. Um, and I really want to know people's opinions. So that will be out this weekend, I believe, Saturday or Sunday. So, yeah, so during COVID, the state I live in in Australia is still locked down. The rest of Australia isn't, Um, no comment. And um, so I'm just doing a little bit more of these because there's really not a lot to do other than online shop, research these and work. So (laughs) anyway, um, subscribe on Instagram at Unknown Passage Pod. Um, it's, I want to build a community there. It's really cool. And if you've got any feedback, case suggestions, anything like that, unknown passage podcast at gmail.com. And I built a very basic website. Um, I've built two now, one for my work, one for this. Um, Squarespace is amazing. It's not sponsored, but it is. Um, I've built one for Unknown Passage. It's at unknownpassagepodcast.com. And it's basically a place to put all of these people's stories in one place um, so that people can refer to it. And so they have an extra place on the internet. A lot of these are forgotten about. And, you know, it's good to kind of keep their names out there and have another source of information. Um, yeah, I just wanted to commemorate it with a website. So check it out. And I'll also be putting up an about page about myself and my translator, Kara at some point. I don't know if I want to show my face on my Instagram that much. It's not it's because I'm hideous. No, it's, I just like want to keep the focus on, um, the stories and not on myself. I'm not a selfie taker anyway. I'm, I'm pretty private about that kind of stuff, but I'm starting to think maybe I just will at some point. Um, but I just hate YouTubers, true crime YouTubers and those stupid thumbnails that they have where they put their face next to the victims and it's like shocked. The only one who had a classy, page and she ended up shutting it down because she was freaked out by people contacting her and stuff was Kaylee Elise. Her page, I think is still up her channel. Go and watch her videos. She did not put her face with a shocked, stupid makeup laden expression. Um, and I miss her. So come back anyway, enough rambling. Um, yeah, stay safe, travel safe when we're allowed to travel and look after each other because stories like this make you realise that anything can happen, anything can be around the corner and just be kind to people. Thanks, guys. Bye.